right, open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. If you're excited, can I get an amen? All right, God is in the house today celebrating life. Let's look to our sermon series. Those who are new here, we've been going to the book of Ephesians for all of 2017. And uh, it's called Ephesians, the book. It's named after a city in Ephesus. And we're probably going to bring this bad boy all the way in 2018. How many love the Bible? Can I get an amen? So today we are going to talk about Christ in you. Somebody say Christ in you. Thank you. So if you look at this graphic here, those who are new, in him is the theme of the book of Ephesians. They were a city in Rome called Ephesus. The Bible book was named after them. Paul's the apostle. And one of the key themes that comes up continually in this book is being in Christ. And so here's the deal. Think of the triangle as the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, God created humanity to be in the Trinity through Jesus Christ. So how do we come into a relationship with God? We come by Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father. And then when we have Jesus and the Father, the Spirit lives within us. I know that may be new for some of you, but we serve one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and who? The Holy Spirit, thank you. And so this church teaches the doctrine of who our God is because we go verse by verse through the Bible. And now what we're going to learn is that Paul teaches us that when we're in Christ, when we're experiencing the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're going to experience the love of God. So today's message is going to be primarily about God's love inside of you. And I don't know about some of the dudes here, but talking about love as a dude doesn't naturally uh, come easy. It's not something I'm just going to do when I'm hanging out with guys shooting guns or something. But here's the deal. The love of God is the most powerful force on earth. The love of God will change you from the inside out. The love of God did for me what hanging around gangs and troublemakers never could do for me, what doing drugs and committing crimes never could do. God's love did in one moment what a lifetime of this world can never accomplish. How many believe God's love is powerful? God's love is transforming, y'all. So if you have never experienced it or you've never heard it the way we're talking about today, I want to encourage you to follow along with us in the scriptures and get you some. Somebody say, get you some. Thank you. Paul is starting here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. This is where we get the tradition of praying on our knees. You don't always have to pray on your knees, but it was a tradition that the Jewish people had. And here Paul in the New Testament, after Jesus' resurrection, that's the New Testament, Jesus taught us to pray on our knees as well. He prayed like that in the garden. And now Paul says, that's how I pray oftentimes on my knees. Now you're going to see the Trinity here. He says, I kneel before the who? The Father. Somebody say the Father. So he's kneeling before the Father. Who else is in the Trinity? Who are we needing to hear about now? The Son and who else? The Holy Spirit. Let's see if you can see the Trinity here. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Why is that important to know that all of us come from the one family of Adam and Eve? There is one race, the human race. There may be multiple cultures in the human race, but different cultures don't make different races. We are not different kinds of humans because we have different kinds of melanin in our skin or different shape of our eyes or nose or speak a different language or eat different food or like different music. Culture does not change race. We are of the human race made in the image of God come from Adam and Eve. The reason why this is important is because the verses prior to this, Paul was teaching that God had divided the world from Jew and Gentile. Jews were those that had come through God's chosen people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was the generation. Abraham, the father, Isaac, the son, and then Jacob, the son of Isaac, or the grandchild of Abraham. Jacob then had the 12 tribes of Israel. They then moved into Egypt, got delivered by Moses, and then lived under occupation from Greeks to Romans. And in the time of Jesus, they're under Roman occupation. But nonetheless, the whole entire story of the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, which we call the Old Covenant, was about the Jewish people. But yet there was a promise that when Jesus would come, it would unify all people of the earth, that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, would come into unity through the Trinity in the divinity of Jesus Christ. So 
so all of us can participate in the divine nature. And all my non-Jewish people said amen. Come on, that means most of us here are non-Jewish. But why is this important for Paul to say in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name? Is because though God separated humanity from Jew and non-Jew, it never meant that we weren't important to him, that he had a plan for us. As a matter of fact, when you go back to Abraham's promise that he shall become a great nation, it also says there at day one of the start of the Israelite people, he said to Abraham, and through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So there was a promise right at the beginning as God was separating Jew and Gentile. But what was the purpose of the Jew? The purpose of the Jew was to show us the one true God, that it wasn't the God of the Egyptians. It wasn't the God of the Aztecs. It wasn't the God of the Romans. It wasn't the God of the Vikings. The one true God was the God revealed to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, when Jesus came, he could fulfill prophecies and show us that he is the Son of God. If you didn't have prophecies and if you didn't have a, a four, uh, four telling about Jesus, if he would have been born into the Roman family, they would have thought he was the son of Zeus. They would have thought he was the son of an Aztec god of Machu Picchu. But he had to have come from a holy group of people that were set apart, that knew the things of God, followed the laws, had the prophecies speak forth his coming so that when he came, he could say, I am the son of the one true God. And when you've seen me, you've seen the Father because the Father and I are one. Can I hear an amen? Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family, somebody say every family, thank you, in heaven and on earth derives its names. There are families of angels in heaven, different categories, seraphim, cherubim, and then messenger angels, three kinds, and all of them derive from our one God, the creator, as well as all the people on the earth. Verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now what person of the Trinity have you seen? You've heard about the Father. Who did you just see in verse 16? The Holy Spirit. Which, which person are we missing now? The Son. Verse 17. Let's read it together. One, two, three. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Now get it. No tricks up my sleeve, but did you see the Trinity? Paul says, I kneel before the Father. So that the power of the Spirit may come and that Christ, the Son, may dwell in your hearts. It's important that you understand the God you worship. He is not meant to be a fictitious figure. He is not meant to be shrouded in mystery. You are to know him intimately. But how do we know intimately the Father and the Spirit? We do it through Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then in John 16, he said, when I go back to the Father from whence I came, because remember, he was not born on Christmas Day. The Son of God is eternal in his nature as long as the Father has existed, the Son and the Spirit has existed. It's just the sun took on flesh. If you went to space and put on a spacesuit, the moment you put on the spacesuit, did you start existing? No, you existed before the spacesuit. Did Jesus exist before he put on flesh? Yes, he existed for eternity. The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what was the purpose of what we call the incarnation, or carne, carne, flesh in Spanish? Why did the Son of God take on flesh? So he could die for the flesh that we had sinned in. Adam and Eve had sinned and brought the curse upon all people, Jew and Gentile. And so Jesus, born of a virgin, bypassed the curse of Adam and Eve's lineage. That's why he was born of a virgin, so he wouldn't have the flesh of sin that all Adam and Eve's people had. Therefore, Paul called him in Corinthians the second Adam. Not a reincarnation of Adam, but he got the same fresh start of a perfect body as Adam, but this time he did not sin. Then he became the sacrifice for sin, died, rose again. Now think about this. Why didn't he rise again in his spiritual nature and just go back to heaven? Why did he keep flesh? Why could Thomas touch it? Why is it he identified with man in his body after the resurrection? That was so that he may give at the resurrection of all people from the dead a new body. So as long as Jesus has a new body, those who are born again first spiritually can be born from the dead at the resurrection with a physical perfect body as Jesus Christ because he is the second Adam Jesus Christ is the life-giving spirit that re-stamps out huma humanity in his image. As the Bible says, firstborn among the dead, that we may be conformed to his image, being brothers and sisters with him. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that the Son of Men might become the sons and daughters of God. 
I'm going to say that again. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of God. Christ became what I was, that I might become what he is. Do you understand? Look at these three verses now. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you through his spirit in your inner being. That means you have a soul on the inside. You're not just five senses in a body. For what purpose? So that Christ, the Son of God, may dwell in your hearts. Not the, not the cortisone, not the physical organ we call the heart, but in the spirit, in your soul, through faith. Not by your works, but through faith. And he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Somebody say love. Now get it here. Here's the message. Where Christ is, love is. So when we sinned in the Garden of Eden and became separate from Christ, what did we become separate from? His love. Not that he stopped loving us, but we became separate from the experience of experiencing daily and personally and intimately his love. So this thing started with love, and it's going to end with love. Because why do we get resurrected? Why do we dwell forever with God upon the new earth after judgment? Are we his pets? Are we his robots? Are we just the things he programs to serve him? You know, he puts in here... I, uh, you know, tell me uh, you love me. And then I go, I love you, Jesus. Is that all we are to him? No, we were made in his image to express with unique personality the love of God. And what existed before we existed, even heaven and earth existed, was the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So for those who say God had to create mankind to love someone because he had no one to love or that he was lonely is a lie. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, three equal persons in the Trinity, had perfect love amongst themselves, but they were wanted to share that love with a creation. And so that's why we were made. And that is the purpose of why he died on the cross for us, all for love, so that we might be saved. Why did he give Adam and Eve the ability to procreate children? So that we, being image bearers, may have the, uh, the joy of doing what he did with us. Not that we're our children's God, but as God created us in his image, we would get the joy of getting together on one lonely old Friday. Friday night, listen to a little R. Kelly, and nine months later, come on, have a child in our image. Is anybody listening to me? Now, what happened was we sinned, and sex became dirty, and it became defiled by the devil, but we need to bring it back to the purpose of God. Amen? That's why I have five children. Amen? Because uh, making babies is what God created me to do, and I'm going to keep making babies, and it's fun to make babies, and when, when somebody says, what are you going to do when you're not going to make babies? I'm going to do the act that you do to make babies and keep enjoying life. And that's a part of why I've been married for 12 years. Amen. I will tell you what, if you fall in love with one woman and women fall in love with one man, your heart will be satisfied all the days of your life. And the children that you have will be the fruit of your love and they can share life with you together. That's the purpose of family, but it's modeled. See, family was brought up in verse 15, but it's modeled after God's family. So I put God first, family second, family first after God. You understand that saying, family first after God. But by doing that, I do it in love, not out of obligation. I want to love because I've been loved. Now look at verse 18. He keeps praying. I pray that you may have power. Some may say power. Thank you. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide. Some may say how wide, how long, how high. And deep is the love of Christ. Let's do it again. How wide? Do the motions. Come on. How wide? How long? How high? And how deep is the love of Christ? Look at verse 19. And to know this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the what of God? Come on. All the what? All the fullness of God. So how much of God is supposed to be in the believer? All the fullness if you're born again today, is anything lacking inside of you? No. Your earthly body is just a temporary shell. That's why it must die, so that your glorified body can truly contain all the God that's inside of you. But right now, you get a taste of it, and you shouldn't take that lightly. You are not in some progress bar of salvation. God is not saving you 10% today, 20% tomorrow. If you've been born again, you are now in all the fullness of God. If Christ be in you, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
That's what it means to be born again. If you've ever heard that saying, that's what it means. Jesus said it in John chapter 3 to the most religious man at that time, Nicodemus, a ruling member of the Jewish council. He said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can I as an old man go back up into the womb of my mother? Do you think that would be possible, women? Now, how many know that would be messy and painful? Amen. People go to jail over trying stuff like that. Here I come, mom. You know, come on, it ain't going to work. But that's what a religious man said. But then Jesus said back to him, what's of the flesh is flesh, but what's of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again of the spirit. So tie it together. We were born in the flesh because of the race of Adam and Eve, the human race. But now we must be born again of the God kind of race, the spiritual race that God created us for to live with him for eternity. I think of it like this. I was born once naughty by nature. Now I've been born again into the divine nature. I was born once into an earthly family with a father and a mother and brothers and sisters. Now I've been born again into a spiritual family where God is my father, Jesus is my brother, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and the church is my brothers and sisters. Amen. This is what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. But notice this. It surpasses knowledge. Why does God's love surpass our knowledge? It's because our cantaloupe-sized brains can't figure it out. And if you want to be honest, you know you've been there before. It frustrates you. I know. It's frustrated me. As I look at myself in the mirror, I say, God, how could you love me? All the things that I've done wrong, these are the things I know. I've done drugs. I've committed crimes. Even now since being a Christian, I've yelled at my wife and kids. I must have lost your love somewhere along the way. But I love what one preacher said. God can't stop loving you because he never started loving you. You say, what does that mean? God never learns anything. God never starts anything. God never stops. He's the beginning and the end. God has always loved me as long as he has known himself. He can't stop because he never started. God is love. The fact of the matter is God knew me before I knew myself, and he knew that he loved me. He didn't have to start loving me as much as he is God is as much as he's loved me from the moment I've known myself and accepted it, but he's known it longer than me. He's known it without ever learning it. He's all-knowing. The love of God is not taken away by my bad deeds. If it was, he would have sent Adam and Eve to hell. He's not asking us to be saved by our good works to now prove our love back to him. We do obey him, don't get me wrong, but it starts in our hearts by trusting that he actually loves us. That's what the faith means right there where it says that in your hearts through faith, you understand Christ dwells with you. So how do I as a sinful person get Christ to come dwell in me? Do I go to church more? Do I do more good works? No, I just believe. If that doesn't blow your mind, you didn't understand what I just said. It surpasses my knowledge. It surpasses everything I try to comprehend. Because everything in this world comes through blood, sweat, and tears. But the greatest thing I need comes from a God who says, all I need you to do is trust me. See, that blows my mind every time. That doesn't take away my hunger and thirst to serve him. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. But listen. It is not true love for my child to come to me and say, Dad, I'm ugly. Dad, I'm worthless. Dad, I don't like myself. That's not true love. And then even if my son said after that, I'm ugly, I'm worthless, but I know you love me, that's still not what I want him to say. I want him to look at himself in the mirror and know what I say about him is true. I want him to say, my daddy loves me and I am beautiful, I am handsome, I am fearfully, wonderfully made, I am all of these things. And so the idea is we don't come to God saying, I'm just, I'm just miserable, I'm not any good, I'm terrible. No, we need to see ourselves as the apple of his eye. But have we sinned? Have we become wretched in our behavior? Yes. But God so loved the world, not in its human potential, not in the good that it could do. God so loved the sinful world in its own wickedness. He still loved us there, not before we did, before we did anything righteous. He loved us and gave his son for us before we did one good thing. So if good things are what's keeping you in Christianity, you're going to be on the rat race, on the gerbil wheel. You're going to be trying to keep it up, and anytime you slip, you're going to feel like his love stops because you think you're earning it by all the good that you do. But if you can just receive it through that heart of reception as a child, you'll want to show him in reciprocation how much he loves you and how much you love him. See, I can show the love of God when I'm at peace in my relationship with him. How do I show the world that I believe God loves me? By showing, by showing myself to be at peace with God. 
If it looks like I have to pray five times a day towards a rock in Mecca, does that look like I trust the love of God? No, I'm trusting my own works to earn my way out of uh, punishment. If I'm always having to do these things to earn a reward, does it really look like I trust God? No, but when my son comes home with us today, opens the refrigerator, he's trusting there's food there. That shows that he understands my love. He may not understand it to the depths of what it can go, but he understands there's love. There's food in the refrigerator. All of those things that God does for us, he does so that we may know that he loves us. Here's what a theologian said. It's kind of deep, but I want you to get it. God's love is wide enough to reach the whole world and beyond. It's long enough to stretch from here to eternity. It's high enough to raise both Jew and Gentile to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it's deep enough to rescue people from sin's degradation and even from the grip of Satan. Have you ever just told yourself a story about the future and you didn't include God's love in it? I know I do it all the time. I'll be thinking about something in the future. Maybe it's the time my aunt was dying of cancer. And I start to think, what's it going to be like without my aunt? And I start to picture in my mind the situation that I'm going to face. And all of a sudden, I get afraid. Or maybe you've had to face a situation where financially or marriage, you've had to face divorce or bankruptcy. And you go through the whole scenario and you put yourself in the future and it scares the living daylights out of you. Do you know why the fear of the future bothers us? It's because we don't think God's love is long enough to meet us there. Next time you go through those situations, why don't you put God's love at the end of it or at the middle of it or at every part of it? As I began to see my, my aunt die, and she did pass, and I saw it through the eyes of Christ, I knew that nothing could separate me from the love of God. And so whenever I faced the moment of her death, God's love was there, just like he was with me that day I was thinking about it. Listen to me. I hear people talk like this all the time. Oh, but if I lose this loved one, they won't be able to be at my wedding, and they won't be there at the day I give birth to a child, and they'll miss all of these things in my life, and then they project all their fears in the future, and they go, oh, it's scary. But I double-dog dare you next time you have those thoughts come up in your mind. Say, God's love will meet me there at that wedding day. My friend or family may not be there, but Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there the day I give birth to my child, and I will have God's love with me, and that's enough. You put your hope in other people, they will let you down. Even good families let us down. You say, how? When they die. David said, my father and my father and mother forsake me. Every good father and mother will forsake their children at some point. No, not intentionally, but they will breathe their last breath, and you will find out real quick, this wasn't your mother and father's earth. It was God's earth. Do you have a heavenly father? And if your heavenly father is your God, then you can pray for family members to know Jesus while they're on the earth so that you can see them in heaven and share eternity with them. Can I get an amen? I want you to think about this before I go on. This is what a famous theologian of the past said about being a Christian. He said to be a Christian is not just to live your life merely for Christ in the sense of being obedient to him. So a lot of us, they think, I'm going to keep God's laws. I'm going to keep God's commands. But it's not just merely a life of obedience to God, nor is it merely dependence upon God. And I know that's good. I need God. i got to lean on God. But it's not just a obedience. It's not just a dependence, nor merely living for the sake of God. People say, I do this for God. I'm putting God first in all that I do. Listen, this theologian said this, and I believe it. That we're not here on this earth just to be obedient, just to be dependent, and just live for the sake of God. No, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to stand in conscious, reciprocal fellowship with God. To be identified with Him in thought and purpose and work. To receive from Him and to give back to Him in ceaseless interplay of spiritual forces. I think of that song where it says, be thou my vision. There's a part of that song that says, thou my best thought by day or by night. How many of you have found that the thought of God is your best thought by day or by night? That you can begin to intertwine your thoughts with his thoughts. That you can begin to give your love back to him. The Bible says as deep calls unto deep is how our relationship is with God. Think of it like this. The ocean through the tide and the deep waters pushes out the water onto the sandy shore. But then that deep pulls it back in off the shore to come back into the deep to then push it back out again. How many of you have been in a relationship with God that the deeper that he brings you and pushes you out into this world to do things for his glory? 
glory is the more that you feel drawn back to him to get to know and love him more so that you can hit the shores of this life so that people can know that our God is a loving God. And yet he draws you back deeper and deeper. And so the more that God does in you, he does through you, and it's all for his love. How many are in a love relationship with God today? I want to tell you right now that the love relationship I have with God today transformed my life to everything that I thought I never could be that I can now be. You say, Pastor, what does that look like? I want to tell you what it looks like for me. This is what it looks like for me. I was a high school dropout. I was incarcerated eight times before I was an adult. Some of you are new, so I want to tell you my story. But I got saved at my mother's kitchen table. God called me into ministry, went to Bible college in New Orleans, worked there for seven years, and started this church here in Chicago about 12 years ago. But let me tell you what it's like for me. What it's like for me is this past Friday with my oldest daughter's birthday party. She's turning nine years old, and she wanted to go to medieval times. And it's me sitting at the end and looking down the row and seeing all five of my children and my wife there and me understanding that this is greater than anything I could have ever asked, thought, or imagined. I had a gun pulled on me once, should have died there in that party where the guy pulled it on me, and I OD'd on crystal meth in my friend's backseat of the car. Are you listening to me? The God that I serve is so awesome, and his love is so transforming. That when I sat there in medieval times watching my daughter cheer, you know, for the good guy to win, tears were coming down my eyes, and I just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Your love is more than I can imagine. I could never imagine this day. And I know some of you may be facing days right now that are hard and that are tough, but God says his love will still be with you. Why are we able to go through the valley of the shadow of death? It's because we have a valley walker right there beside us that says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And his rod and staff, they comfort us. God knows there's troubles in this world. That came because of our sin in the Garden of Eden. But my friends, don't let trouble draw you away from God. Let trouble, like with Paul, bring you to the knees at the forefeet of God and ask him to fill you with his love. I hear people all the time and say, oh, the evil of this world makes me question God. No, it's the evil of this world that makes me pray to God to be filled with his love and his hope. You say, Pastor, how do you have proof of God? How do you have evidence of God? Well, I can just start with my own heart. I have a hunger and a desire that this world cannot fill. Where did it come from? Why is it I tried to fill that desire with sex? I tried to fill that desire with money, and none of it filled the heart, hunger that I had inside. I had a God-shaped hole on the inside of me that only he could fill. And that day, November 5th, 1995, I got high on the most high, baby. You need to give Jesus a try. Come on. But where did that hunger come from? Where did it come from? Why is it all of us on the inside feel like we're strangers in this land? And why is it even by the clothes that we wear, we're still ashamed of our nakedness and we're always trying to cover ourselves up? It's like we were meant for more than just clothes and gold and shallow relationships. It's like we were made for glory and to be covered by the light of God and His presence. That's why our hearts hunger for achievement. That's why we pursue education. That's why we do all that we do is there is a deep hunger on the inside, and it does not satisfied until it's filled to all the fullness of God with the love of God. This, my friends, is the only thing that satisfies in life, that the love of God would saturate you and me, that we would know Christ is on the inside of us, and that his love is so wide that there is no problem in this world that he cannot put his arms around. I remember going to the hospital as a young pastor starting this church, and there was a couple that had their pre-born baby, their preemie, in an incubator breathing his last breath. His name was Hezekiah. I was so scared to go there because what do I do as a pastor? How do I help them? And watching this young child pass was probably the hardest thing I've ever faced as a pastor. But you know what? When that family came to church and brought their problems to the feet of Jesus and kneeled down, it was almost like you could see the devil saying at that same moment, look at how wide this pain goes. 
Look at the death of an innocent child. Where was your God? What did you do wrong to deserve this? It was like as if the devil said, look how wide this problem is. But I want to tell you what, they were in the first service and you can talk to them, Jessica and Salvador. It was like as if at those moments the great eagle of our father came and spread out his wings across all the weth of that problem and then wrapped us in his love. And he said, it is okay. My friends, I don't know about you, but my God said, I wish to bring you all in as a mother hen does her chicks, but you don't let me. That's what Jesus said, you don't let me. I ask you today to let God bring you under his wings, the shelter of the Most High, Psalm 91. His wings can stretch further than any problem we've ever had, longer than any trial we go through. Some of you have been going through trials for weeks and months and years. His love will last for eternity. Some of you may die with that problem. I can't lie to you and say we'll go away. Maybe you will die with it. But I'll tell you what, after your body has died, the love of God will remain, and you will rule with him and be in his presence forever. The height of God's love goes beyond the spiritual forces that we face in this world. All the devil and his angels sending their attacks from the heavenly realms. God's love pierces through that and brings the blessings of God down to this earth. And the depth of his love, the depth of his love will capture your heart in the moments that you feel condemned. When you doubt, I always encourage people, doubt your doubts because God's love will go deeper than your doubts and your fears. What's the difference between Peter and and Judas? They both betrayed him. Maybe Peter even worse because he was a closer friend and he did it within proximity to where Jesus could even see him betraying him. But Judas quit. Judas quit before the love of God could transform and don't quit. As long as you're alive today, there is hope for you. Jesus Christ will change you with his love. Can I hear an amen? And then Paul says, now to him, our God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, Or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So is there a power in us? Yes. So I don't just sit back and just say, well, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy this on a mountain somewhere. No, there's power to go out into the real world and change this place. Because God's love can change what's going on in our streets right now. It's God's love. I could point out to you right now gangbangers who have given their heart to Jesus. It's God's love that brought them to their knees of our Heavenly Father. No police though I appreciate our police, but no government, I appreciate all of that, no schools, and I appreciate our schools, but it's the power of God that changes gangbangers. Are you listening? It's, it's the power of God that changes the people today that are pursuing their own selfish ambition. It's the same sin that destroys all of our lives. It's like we can look at the gangbanger and say, oh, you know, they're, they're so pitiful. We feel sorry for them. But I feel sorry for the woman living in a $100,000 condo that's sleeping with four dudes at the club every week and spending all her money on herself so she can have a Gucci purse. She's just as lost as that gangbanger is and will go to the same hell. But here's the thing. She has a hole in her soul that only God can fill, and that gangbanger has a hole in his soul that only God can fill. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to let the power of God work in us so it can work around us. And he'll do greater than our imaginations. I can tell you stories of revival in Chicago that predate all of us, that were on the south side, that brought communities together when they all didn't get along. I can tell you stories of New York City being brought to its knees, starting with Christian businessmen who were losing their monies in the stocks, and they began to cry out to God. I can tell you stories today of people facing similar situations that we've faced, but they trusted God, and he did more than they can ask or imagine. Are you willing to trust a God like that today? According to the power that's worked within you, how many know greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. How many know if the Lord tarries, we want our children blessed, their children's blessed, and their children's blessed. Amen. Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. See, that's the prayer of Paul. See, that is the prayer you and I are supposed to pray. Put that in your pipe and smoke it tomorrow morning. Amen. Don't just go to the caffeine. Go to your knees and pray a prayer just like this in review. Go to God, and I'll meet you there, to the God of heaven and earth, and say, Lord, fill me with the power of your spirit that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith, and I may be rooted in your love. That is my prayer. When you're rooted in the love of God, hurricanes can blow against your life, but your life will stand because you're rooted in God's love. 
And that love has a power that is so wide, long, and high, and deep that our knowledge can't even comprehend. You know that that reminds me of, you also says he'll give us peace in Philippians chapter 4 that we can't comprehend. Every time I try to figure out how God gives me peace, I can't figure it out. I'm a father with five kids. I work from home. People already think that's crazy. How in the world do you do your work when five children are being homeschooled in your house? Because I got peace that goes beyond my, my understanding. Are you listening? I got love that goes beyond my understanding. Some of y'all thinking being pastor is easy. Sadly, just another pastor committed suicide. Pastors can get depressed too, y'all. Are you listening to me? You think you got problems with your 100 Facebook friends? I got 3,000 Facebook friends. I got 250, 300 people I have to care for every day. You think people turn on you? They turn on me. But when I look at you today, I can put a smile on my face, and I can say, if he loved me, I can love you. And that may not make sense when you block me on Facebook, say what you say on those reviews. But you know what? I got the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. I got love on the inside of me. How many want that love today? That surpasses that joker who cuts you off in traffic. Come on. I'll love my enemy in traffic. Anybody got to love an enemy in traffic? Y'all getting quiet now, huh? Look what Paul said in Colossians. This is the sister book to Ephesus. Every now and then I'll reference another one of Paul's writings so you can get it in stereo sound, surround sound. Look at what he said in chapter 1 of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. I'm not asking for a tap on the back. I'm just asking for a real honest answer. Did you hear the word of God today in its fullness? Did we cover Genesis to Revelation, some things in between? I mean, creation, judgment day. Did we talk about heaven? Did we talk about hell? Did we talk about grace? Did we talk about truth? In its fullness. That's what we're to do. And you're to do that with your friends and family. The mystery that has been disclosed for the ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to the Lord's people. What is that mystery? Let's read it together. One, two, three. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles riches of the mystery, which is in you the hope of glory. Which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. One more time. What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why was this a mystery? Because when we sinned, everybody thought it was over. And when the Jewish people got chosen, it was like, oh, man, just those guys? But no, there's a mystery here. God has a plan to bring all humanity back to him. And what is the hope? What are we all hoping for? That God will be in us again. Do you know that loneliness right now is a leading cause of death among our senior citizens? Do you know that right now we're at a 30-year high of suicide? Why? Because people are in conflict within themselves and they feel alone. Do you ever argue with yourself? Do you know that when the devil tempts you, he never uses you as a third person. He always uses first person. He always says, nobody likes me. And then you'll hear that in your heart, and you'll say, nobody likes me. He doesn't say nobody likes you, because then you would know it's an outside thought. He brings it as your own thought. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. I'll never change. I'll never change. I was rejected by my parents. I must be worthless. I must be worthless. You think of the suicide rate, the death rate among our elderly. What does that just show us there? In the extreme, it shows us that on the inside, many, many people are not at peace with themselves. The devil's lying to them. You're 70 years old and you're forgotten. I'm alone. My family doesn't care. They take their lives at record numbers. They die early deaths. Teenagers right now, my mom doesn't love me. I'm alone. I can't change this. But what does God's love say to us? God's love says he's wider than that, isn't he? He's longer than that. He's higher than that. He's deeper than that. And he says he's in us. Look at verse 28 in closing. He says, he's the one we proclaim. How many got something to proclaim today? And admonish. That means we correct false thinking and teach. So how many today are going to proclaim, correct, and teach? Amen. Everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. How many of you now want to go change the world with Jesus? I want to end today with you thinking about a few things as the band and altar workers come. I want you to think about this. Christ in you is the hope of glory. What does that mean? That means the hope of you being clothed with glory, what you had with Adam and Eve, is now only found in Christ being with you here now. 
I am not thinking this is happening sometime in the future only. I'm knowing that there's something happening now on the inside of me. How many know your heart changed when you gave your heart to Jesus? Is there anybody here that can do a heart transplant on themselves? Anybody can do that? Whoop. Thank you. We're all up now. Can you do a heart transplant on yourself? You can't. So the idea is, how can you change yourself? How can you change yourself? The Bible says it like this. You have to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So I can't love my neighbor until I love myself. But can I love myself without God loving me first? I can't change my heart. I need someone to change it for me. I don't know how to recognize my own thoughts from the destructive thoughts of the devil. I don't know the difference. You ever hear somebody talk about, I need to find myself? That's what they mean by that, is they don't know who they are. But how do you know who you are unless you talk to your creator? You can't. I know people do well when they try to shut off the outside influences, but they still don't go as deep as they're supposed to. Did you think I thought I would be a pastor? Do you think I thought that? Like, while I'm doing drugs, I'm like, I'm going to be a pastor. I used to make fun of pastors. I actually called up prayer lines, pretending to be demon-possessed, and prank called them. I got the devil. Cast it out. Oh, I'm like doing crazy stuff. I'm so serious. I'm embarrassed. I had kissing contests with girls in the church bathroom. When my parents would make me go to church, I got happy because I said I can meet up with these other girls there and I can make out with them in the bathroom. Me and my friend wanted to kiss a girl that was in high school when we were in junior high, and we came up with an idea. There's no way this high schooler is going to kiss a junior higher. So we came to her and said, we got an idea. Don't you all try this. I said, would you tell us who's the better kisser? She said, sure. So we got to kiss a high schooler in the bathroom. Do you think I was thinking to myself, let me become a pastor? Because I was brought up around church, I knew the places in the parking lot to hide. I used to sell and do drugs in the church parking lot. Literally would go right to these corners in the church parking lot, big suburban church. I would know I could go in this cut, and I would sell and do drugs there. What changed? Jesus came on the inside of me, and I began to hear his thoughts. The conflict stops when the Prince of Peace comes. You know that, right? Peace comes when the peacemaker is there, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I want you to end by thinking about this today. I want us to end by getting real with ourselves. Are you in conflict with yourself? Doubting the love of God for you. Doubting the plan that God has for you. God wants your roots to go down deep into him and to be nourished from his love. I thank God for good parents. But even my good parents could not nourish my soul to have it grow to what God wanted me to be. I had to put my roots into God. And that's where it starts, right? That's what it means to be born again, is you get literally transplanted out of the ways of this world, and you get planted deep into God. And what is the fruit from the root of Christianity? What is the fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, these wonderful things that we always wanted. We always wanted them, didn't we? We always wanted peace. That's why even in the gangbanger scenario, they don't shoot each other once they get home, do they? They were shooting out there, but now what, what do they want in their house? Now they want peace here. No shooting here. Love for our brothers here. They thought doing that would make it better here, but no, the conflict follows, right? The, the, the girl today that, that keeps taking, you know, the morning after pill that doesn't want to have a child, but she keeps sleeping around because she's empty on the inside. She wants to live out her frat dreams in her 30s. That lady on the inside is not saying, I want to be used by men. I want to be a sexual object. No, what she's saying is, I'm looking for love here. I'm looking for gratification here. I'm looking for my identity here. The same thing with the businessman. He's not saying, I don't love my family. He's saying he's working to 12, you know, 12 hours a day to 10 o'clock at night because he says he loves his family. But his roots in the business world are causing his family to die. His love is not enough when he's gone to satisfy the child that says, why isn't dad here to tuck me in? 
So what is God doing? God is repositioning our focus. He wants us to first look up to him, to kneel and to look up. Because if you start within, you'll be depressed. Then you look to the world, you'll be distressed and go, dear God, it's not any better out here. I mean, you'll start in the inside. You go, man, I'm crazy. I got some crazy thoughts going on in here. Can anybody help me? No, man, you're all crazy too. You look inside, you're depressed. You look outside, you're distressed. It's only when you get on your knees and look to your heavenly father is your soul at rest. That's the only time, right? So you start by looking up to Christ. Then you look within and you go, oh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Papa loves me. He gave me these characteristics to reflect him. I look up, I look within, and now I can look without into the world and be a difference. Amen? Would you pray with me before we go? Father, we ask you to bless every person here. Thank you for bringing us. May we now accept you into our hearts if we haven't already. Those who are here who need to be born again, will you ask Jesus to come into your heart? Set your soul at rest today in his presence. Confess your sins and he'll be quick to forgive. Those who are born again today, right now, would you just start to thank God for the relationship that you have with Christ through the Holy Spirit? And would you surrender three things to his throne right now? Feel free to kneel if you want to, but just surrender three things. Start there. Even those who are accepting Christ into your heart, think of it like that. Just surrender three things. But come on, Christians, surrender your worries of the future. You're looking to the future and you're afraid because you don't trust that God's love is long. Say, God, I surrender my finances. I surrender my marriage, whatever I'm going through. Name off these things and start to trust God today with me. Let our roots go down into the love of God. Let us trust Him when everyone else leaves. Let us see his light when everything becomes dark. Come on, I'm going to give my three things to Jesus right now. Lord, take away my fear of failure where I think as a 40-year-old man I should be farther than I am right now. May my roots grow deep into your identity so that I'll be satisfied with what you are doing in my heart today. Lord, take away the times that I condemn myself when I'm not the husband I'm supposed to be. Let me receive forgiveness and be that man, God, without getting an attitude or a pity patty party. And Lord, I pray that I will trust you with my children and not let my fears hold them back. Let me trust you with their future because you are their creator. Come on, I'm giving my three things to God today. This ministry my marriage and the way I act as a husband and my hopes and dreams for my kids, I'm giving it to God. How big is your God today? Can he cover your life? Can he cover the main things you're going through today? 30 more seconds. God, have your way. If you're not a Christian, ask God to make you a Christian. Be born again. If you are one, give it up right now. Say, Lord, I surrender. We'll dismiss in just a moment. Even visitors that are here today, participate in the divine romance with God and watch what he'll do in your heart. Miss in just a moment. Jesus. Come on. I want us to sing this scripture out today. Jesus. We're going to sing just for a few more moments, but come on. Some of you got to pray and break through today. Don't, don't let this moment pass you by. your life to change. Come on up here, Jerry. Uh, Jerry. I want Jerry to sing this. Jerry's got it in her spirit right now. We're going to leave it. Just how wide, how long, and how high 
and how deep and how wide how long come on how high and how deep put up the verse please come on how long yes. how high and how deep come on if you want to stand up and sing it just sing it over your life today sing it over your life put up the verse for us please how Changing in this place. A few more times. A few more times. now but I want you to get this if you feel in that power right now surrender to it that's the power I'm talking about man that's the power I'm talking about the power of God man changes lives I feel God's power on the inside of me I feel his energy I can do all things through Christ amen as we get ready to dismiss these prayer workers are up here to pray for any needs you may have life groups are here throughout the week to encourage you let's live in this love Father, thank you today. May we always know and love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.